Well, in just a few moments, we're going to be in the book of Titus, chapter 3. And there should be, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some Bibles scattered around under the chairs. Hopefully there's one close enough you could grab. The words will also be on the screen. Uh, If you're looking for Titus, uh, it's right before Philemon. I don't know if that helps you. Uh, But you can also use the table of contents there. Uh, But Titus chapter 3, we'll be at in a minute. This this morning, as we enter January, it's January 2016, which is hard to believe, I'm sure, for all of us, that it's already January again. But here we are. And so in a new year, and if you've been with us at Mount Hope uh, over the years, you know that in January we like to take some time And go back to some of the basics and talk about why it is that we're here and what it is that we really uh, are doing in this place. Why is it that we gather? What about us as people who follow Jesus? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, how is it that we should be living? Some of those basic things we like to get back to. And we're going to do the same this year. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one idea, one, one thought that's going to frame the rest of our discussions and then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about three words uh, that, that frame what it is that we do and why we are here. So this morning, we'll have this sort of broader discussion, and then over the next three weeks, we'll talk about these three words. The words are live, or learn, love, and live. We'll talk about those three words over the next few weeks. I know those three words put together, they sound like uh, a movie that Julia Roberts would star in or something like that, but... But we think those words are important, that we're here to learn, we're here to love, and we're here uh, to learn how to live. And so we'll talk about those words together. But this morning, we'll start kind of of, a broader. And what we're going to talk about this morning is something that I think that if you're someone who's followed Jesus for a while, you may say to yourself, uh, I know this one. I understand this one. But it's one of those things that God says over and over and over again throughout the Bible because no matter how long we've followed God and no matter how long we've trusted in Him, it's one of those things that we tend to forget and tend to walk away from over time. So maybe you're here this morning and and you don't call yourself a Christian. That's great. We're glad that you're here. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for as far back as you can remember. Um... Whether you find yourself in either of those places, I think that this is a message that's important for all of us. It's something that even if we've been with Jesus for a while, we tend to forget and walk away from. Well, this morning, uh, it's that we're talking about uh, the fact that it's a new year. We've mentioned that a number of times. And we know this is the time of the year. This is the time of the year that we evaluate things and we think about what we're going to do to be a better person in the next 12 months. Maybe you don't make resolutions. I think most people have, have given up on resolutions over time. You tried them one point in your life and you said, well, I don't keep those anyway. And so you don't make resolutions. But whether you make resolutions or you don't make resolutions, it's still the time of the year that we think through things. We think back over the last 12 months and we think, all right, what did I do that I'm proud of? What did I do that was good? And we think back over the last 12 months and we say, well, what didn't I do that I wish I would have done? What do I want to make sure to do in the next 12 months? What should I hold up as important or valuable? What's the kind of behaviors that I should participate in in the next year? We think about those things this time of year, whether we make resolutions or not. Lori and I, this past week, we had the opportunity to travel back uh, to the enchanted land of Nebraska where my family lives. And we took a flight last Monday on December 28th. 
we, we flew through St. Louis and into Omaha, got off the plane. It was seven degrees and blowing icy snow. It's good to be home. And we, we got out there. And on that flight, on that flight, I noticed that very conveniently located in the seat back pocket in front of me was the airline's magazine that they put out every month. And so I pulled it out um, try and, and to pass some of the time, and it was the December issue. And as I flipped quickly through the December issue, the December issue had a lot of the articles that you would expect for the magazine to have. Articles on going to parties and party etiquette for the holidays. Articles on how to enjoy your family and friends throughout the holidays. Articles that basically said, listen, it's the holidays, take it easy, enjoy yourself. The magazine had recipes in it, and the recipes were for things like cake and brownies and and all of those sorts of good things that we all eat around holidays. Well, we flew back yesterday, we flew back yesterday, and I happened to notice that in the seat pocket in front of me was the new issue of the magazine, and it was the January issue. So I pulled out the January issue, and I began to flip through that. And the tone of the articles in the January edition was much different than the tone of the articles in the December edition, where December was about relaxing and enjoying and, and being, just being with family and friends and enjoying the holidays. This issue was much more about becoming a better person, how you could be better financially, how you could be better fitness-wise, how you could get yourself in shape. And in fact, if you were traveling to different cities around the country, what you could do in those cities that would make you a better person, help you think better, help you feel better, help you act better. And this issue also had recipes, but these recipes were filled with things uh, like avocado and quinoa and kale, all of those sorts of foods. Because this is the time of the year that we start to think that way. How am I going to be better? How am I going to do good over the next 12 months? And perhaps you've even thought that way spiritually a little bit. How am I going to make this year for me a better year spiritually than it was last year? How am I going to be better this year? How am I going to do good this year in a way that I didn't do good last year? How am I going to act in a way that God is pleased with me? And so maybe, uh, you know, some people this time of year, they'll take a look at a Bible reading plan and they'll say, okay, this is the year that I'm going to do this Bible reading plan. I'm actually going to follow it. Or you say, this is the year I'm going to pray more. This is the year I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do more good things. And we think, uh, you know, we think that as we do these things, as we try to do better and work harder and be a better person, we believe that God is going to be pleased with us as we do those things. And as we evaluate where we should have done better last year and move towards doing better this year, that we think that if we can do better, if we can be better people, if we can do more good things this year than we did last year, that God will be pleased with us for doing that. In fact, we've spent uh, the last few weeks singing about a man who sees us when we're sleeping and knows when we're awake. We've sung about a man who, who knows if we've been bad or good, and so we're good for goodness sake, right? We've sung these songs about a Santa, or we hear them sung over the last couple of months. But really, if we think about it, a lot of us think about God and treat God the same way we think about Santa. 
That Santa is the one who watches over us and he has a list of who's naughty and who's nice and he rewards people accordingly. And for a lot of us, that's how we feel about God, that God's doing the same thing, that God is watching over us and he has two lists and he has a list of the nice people and he has a list of the naughty people. And at the end of the day, God's going to reward people based upon whether they're on the naughty list or the nice list. My wife and I got our daughter... uh, a chore chart a couple weeks ago. In fact, it was one of her Christmas presents. I think that was cruel. But I, it seemed like a good idea until she opened it on Christmas. I'm like, did we just give her a chore chart for Christmas? But she opened up the chore chart, and it's a magnetic board. The chore chart's in a magnetic board. And on the board, there are six slots for magnets that have chores that she's going to work on. Now, there's something like 30 magnets that she can choose from on which chores uh, that she's going to focus on. So she can choose from do the dishes or get dressed. And so we get together and we say, all right, these are the six chores. These are the six chores uh, that we're going to focus on this week. And then next to the chores, there are little squares. And each time, you know, seven squares, one for each day of the week. So if the chore is get dressed, every time she gets dressed, there are corresponding magnets that have phrases on them like way to go. And you did a great job and we're proud of you. So if she gets dressed on Monday, we take one of the way to go magnets We put it on the Monday box, and she is uh, rewarded. I think that a lot of us act, even if we wouldn't say this, a lot of us act and live as if God is up in heaven with seven billion chore charts, one for each of us. And God is sitting there in heaven, and he has seven billion chore charts, and my name is on one, and your name is on one. And on the chore chart, God has listed all of the things that we should be doing. We should go to church, we should be nice to people, uh, we should read our Bibles, whatever the chores may be. And that he has stickers or halos or holograms or whatever he uses. And he marks off, marks off the days as we complete the chores that are on his list. I think that a lot of us believe that that's how God works. And a lot of us certainly live that way. And so coming into the new year, we say to ourselves, if we could just be better and do more of the things that are on God's list, then certainly God would be more pleased with us. The challenge that we run into when we think along those lines is there are multiple places through the Bible where God is upset with people who are doing good things. It sounds counterintuitive to us. That there are people in the Bible, and not just in one place, in multiple places, people in the Bible that are doing exactly what God has asked them to do. They're doing exactly what God has set out for them to do, and God gets upset with them for doing those things. So in the Old Testament, God, you may know, gave his people a lot of rules to follow, sacrifices to make, rituals to follow, and the people were doing those rituals. And in a place like Isaiah chapter 11, and I think we have some of these words up for the screen, in Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet Isaiah comes along and he's speaking for God, and God says to the people, the multitude of your sacrifice, what are they to me? And then he says to them later in that chapter, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. And even David, when he talked about God, Uh, In Psalm chapter 40, and he does it again in Psalm 51, David says about God, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Even Jesus, when he was on this earth, 
Jesus saved his harshest criticisms for a group of people known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the people that kept God's rules better than anybody else. They were more diligent. They, they knew more. They studied more. And they followed them as best as they could. And yet Jesus comes along, who is God in the flesh, and he saves his harshest criticisms for the Pharisees, who were doing the most good works according to the law. We sometimes tend to think that God operates this way, that, that God is, is, is rewarding us based on the good things that we do and the bad things that we do, and that he has this chart up in heaven where he's watching over us and putting stickers next to our names when we do good things and taking them away when we don't. The only the big challenge to that mode of thinking is why is it in the Bible, whether it's Jesus with the Pharisees or God with his people in the Old Testament, why is it in the Bible time and again there are people who are doing good things, in fact, doing the very thing that God told them to do, and God comes along and is frustrated with them and upset with them? Why would God do that? Why would God be upset with people for doing the very thing that he asked them to do. Well, this morning I want us to take a look at this passage in the Bible in which Paul talks to a young man named Titus about doing good works and helping people learn how to do good things. Paul is is speaking to Titus, and Titus He's a young man who, who became a Christian under Paul's ministry. Paul is, he came after Jesus, and he wrote over half the New Testament. Testament planted a lot of churches in the known world at the time. And Paul was pouring into Titus so that Titus could take on responsibility and so that he could lead a church. And Titus was in Crete, the island of Crete. And Paul wrote this letter to him to help him in his ministry there. And when it came to talking to the people about doing good things and being good people and doing good works, this is what Paul had to say. We're in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And Eileen, I apologize. I'm going to jump in right in the middle of some of the slides that you have. Uh, So we're in, I'm starting with at one time. So we're in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we were too foolish. We, We too were foolish, disobedient deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, listen to this, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. I want to stop there for a minute. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. In fact, some of your translations, depending on what translations you have, say not because of religious things that we have done or things that we have done out of religious means or out of religion. He saved us not because of religious things that we had done. And that seems kind of backwards to us, doesn't it? It seems backwards to us that God would save us, but it would have nothing to do with the good work that we have done. It seems backwards to us that God would save us, but it wouldn't be because we had done all sorts of good things. You see, we like to have a system. We like having a system in in which we're rewarded based on the good things that we do or the bad things that we don't do or the bad things that we do. We kind of like having that sort of system. That sort of system seems fair to us, doesn't it? 
That sort of system where God rewards people based on the good they do and punishes them based on the bad they do, that sort of system, it just seems fair to us. It just seems right. We kind of like to know the score. We like to know where we stand. We like to be able to look back and, and to tally up the points and know that we're doing well or know that we're falling behind. We like to know our grade. We like to know exactly where it is, to, to, to have someone tell us to it straight. And we like a system that's based on what we do. And most people believe in that sort of system. In fact, I was reading an article, reading an article a couple, from a couple years ago with Muhammad Ali. It was, a, it was an interview in Reader's Digest. And Muhammad Ali, uh, it turns out he floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. He's also quite a theologian, apparently. And he said, he said, I believe that when we stand in front of God, that God's going to weigh the good things that we've done and the bad things that we've done. And if the good things outweigh the bad, you go to heaven. If the bad things outweigh the good, you go to hell. And that's what many of us believe. And Michael Bloomberg last year in the New York Times, he's mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg last year, he said he was reflecting at his 50th college reunion, reflecting back on his life and all that he had worked towards and all that he had done. And when the interviewer asked him about his life and all the things that he had worked towards, He said this, Mayor Bloomberg said, I'm telling you if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Most of us, we kind of operate under this system. Whether we we say we believe it or not, this is the system under which we operate. We we think that this is how God has to evaluate us. That someone like Mayor Bloomberg, who has maybe worked on some good initiatives and led people and done some things, that that he would get in and and that if good outweighs the bad, that we would be able to make our way in. We kind of like that system. It seems fair to us. We can kind of know the score, where we stand, based on how many good things we've done and how many bad things we've done. There's just a couple of problems with a system like that. The biggest problem we have with that sort of system is that there's no possible way to know where the line is between what is enough good to outweigh all the bad that we've done. It seems fair to us, but there's no possible way that we could ever know when we've crossed the line. When have we finally done enough good to outweigh the bad? When has is, when is our scale finally tipped in our favor? When is it, who, God gets to judge, what is the line that he uses? Who falls underneath the bad line and who rises above the good line? How does God make those decisions? The problem with a system like that that seems so fair to us, it is wildly unfair because we don't even know what the rules are. Everyone has their own evaluation of themselves. And everybody thinks that they're pretty good. So the biggest problem we have, one of the problems is, is that there's really no line. We don't know where the line is. The second problem that we have is no matter how bad we may be, there's always someone we can find to compare ourselves to who is worse. So we can always justify our actions and always make ourselves feel better. In fact, there was uh, two brothers who lived a little while ago, two brothers that were living in a town, and both of these brothers, both of these brothers were known in the town as uh, really bad guys. They were not good guys. They had swindled a lot of people in the town. They had cheated a lot of people in the town. They had stolen from people. And they're the kind of guys, you know, these two brothers, they had been in and out of trouble their entire lives. And 
one of the brothers, he finally died, and the other brother went to a local pastor, and he said to that pastor, he said to that pastor, um, Pastor, I'd like for you to do my brother's funeral service. I know we've never been here. I know we've never walked into the church door. You know, we're not great guys, but I would like for you to do my brother's funeral service, and um, I will give you a good sum of money to do it. The only thing I would ask, the only thing I would ask, is that in the funeral service, when you're eulogizing my brother, that you would refer to my brother as a saint. Well, the pastor thought about it, and he knew who these guys were. He knew they were not good guys. He knew they hadn't lived the life. But he kind of looked at the money, and he said, well, I suppose I could do it. Sounds like a good business proposition to me. People in the town were a little curious that the pastor would be willing to do this brother's funeral. And so when it was the day of the funeral, the people got together and the sanctuary was packed. There were all sorts of people there. And the pastor got up and he got up to do the eulogy uh, for this man who had passed away. And he said to the people, he said, listen, the man in the box in front of me is a liar and a scoundrel and a criminal But I want you to know one thing. Compared to his brother, he's a saint. (laughs) You see, no matter how bad we are, no matter how bad we are, we can kind of always find someone else. We can always find someone else who's maybe a little bit worse than us and justify our behavior. And so God says, listen, the line that I draw, the way that, that you're saved, Paul's telling Titus, listen, All these people that you're with that want to do good things, just let them know that the line for for salvation is not their good works and what they've done. In fact, he says, this is what he says, he goes on to say in chapter 3 there. He says, but when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things or religious things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul's saying to Titus, you want to be the kind of people that do what is good? Here's the kind of framework that you have to have. If you want to do good things that will please God, you need to remember that those good things have nothing to do with whether or not you are saved, but those good things are a result of the salvation that you have received in and through Jesus Christ. In fact, the way that the great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it, he said those good works are the fruit and not the root of our salvation. Those good works come as a result of the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us and remade us and his work on the cross, and they are not the reason why we are saved. See, at the end of the day, God isn't isn't as concerned about the act itself. He's more concerned about the motivation and the heart that is behind the act. My wife may come to me and she may say to me, you know, I feel like you don't really love me. And I may say to her, what do you mean I don't love you? I tell you I love you exactly at 8 a.m. every single morning before I walk out the door. 
I bought you that gift for your birthday. I bought you chocolates at Valentine's Day. I, I, those times that we said that we were going to go out and spend time together, we spent time together. I bought you that necklace that you wanted for Christmas. I bought you flowers on Mother's Day. What are you talking about that I don't love you? And she may say, I just don't feel like you love me. And the reason she might say that is because if I am doing things as a husband or as a father, whatever my role may be, out of obligation and because I have to or because I think that's what's expected of me in the role, that is wildly different than me being so enamored with my wife and so in love with her and so pursuing her that I cannot help but have those actions be an overflowing of my emotions and my relationship with her. And it's the same thing when it comes to us and God. God cares about the motivation behind the actions, not just the act itself. So that God doesn't just want our actions, He wants our hearts. God has come through Jesus Christ, not just so that we might be better people, so that we might begin a relationship with him. We might fall in love with him. We might be so enamored by him and so filled with this Holy Spirit that the actions that we do, the things that we do in our daily life are not us trying to be better so that God will love us, but they are an outflowing and an outpouring of the love and the relationship that we have with him. Our good works are the fruit, not the root of our salvation. In that horrible time, horrible period that was the Holocaust, over the gates at Auschwitz, the Germans, the Nazis, had had put a phrase. And you'll have to forgive me for my German, but this is what it said. It said, Arbeit macht free, which in English translates to work makes free. Now, you and I know that very horribly and very wrongly that that was a false promise. The idea was to promise people that if they worked hard enough and they tried hard enough, that eventually they would gain freedom. And it was was a lie. It was a lie that was used to force people to do work. That same lie permeates our culture today. That if we just work hard enough, that if we're just good enough, if we just try harder, if we work on ourselves, if we find the answer from within, if we do better actions, if we we do better things, if we're nicer to people, if we love ourselves more, if we accomplish more, if we make more, if we're able to rise up in our career more, that if we work harder, if we work longer, that somehow that work will bring freedom that that work will make us free. The only thing that can provide freedom is Christ himself. The only thing that can truly make us free is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our fruit, our, our good works are the fruit and not the root of our salvation. So this new year, As we think about resolutions, as we think about being better, as we think about doing good, may we not be the kind of people who make resolutions that we can't keep, who make resolutions about being better people and doing better things and and doing 
good, more good things this year than we did last year, but may we be the kind of people who do the work that God has called us to do, not out of obligation, but out of adoration for who Christ is. And not to earn brownie points with God, but to help point other people towards Jesus Christ, who's at work in our lives. Not that we might earn love from God, but because we have received love from God, would we go and would we do the work that God has called us to to do and would this be the year that you pursue Christ and that you deepen your relationship with him not just by trying to do good things but by running after him and listening to his word and spending time in his presence and growing deeper in your walk with him and understanding who he is falling more in love with him that our actions might be an outpouring of that love within us you know it's interesting to me So many young people are running away from God and running away from the church because they think that the idea of a of some sort of being sitting in heaven judging us is 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 just kind of uh, crazy and and off putting. And so what they do is that they'll run to relationships. They'll run to the relationship between us and this earth. They'll run to relationships that come about through certain social networks and certain circles. They'll run to relationships that are formed through some sort of greater agenda. And they're right in that the answer to all of this is a relationship, but they're pursuing the wrong relationships. The Bible thinks it's kind of crazy, too, that we would just think that God sits up in heaven and judges us. The Bible points us to relationship. That a relationship with Jesus Christ is what makes us free. You know, Christianity is the only world religion. It is the only faith system where salvation, whatever that looks like in that system, salvation is not based on what we do. In every other belief system in the world, salvation or ultimate freedom is based upon what we do as people. Being better, being good, doing what is right. Christianity, the one true belief system, recognizes that we're the kind of people that can't even keep a New Year's resolution longer than a month. And so there's no possible way we could be good enough to get into heaven. It's the only belief system that's not based upon what we do, but what God has done for us where our good works are the fruit and not the root of our salvation. I'm going to invite our worship team back up as, as we close this morning. And as we do, maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and maybe this is kind of a, a, a different concept. Maybe you've never heard of it put in these terms this morning, as it has been this morning. What I'd encourage you to do to do this morning and invite you to do is to begin that relationship with Jesus Christ today. Maybe you have been banking on your own actions, banking on your own good works, banking on your own ability to do what is right, to please God and to earn his love and to earn a spot in heaven. Well, this morning, I would encourage you to have this be the morning where you begin that relationship with him. And for those of us who feel like we already have that relationship, don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. I'm not saying that we can go and do whatever we want. I'm saying that we need to make sure the motivation behind our actions is what God has asked it to be. 
Not that we're trying to just go and be good moral people, but that we are so in love with him, so enamored with him, in such a vibrant, dynamic relationship with him that our lives cannot help but reflect that reality. I'd invite you, if you would, just to stand with me and pray together. Oh God, thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have saved us not because of what we have done, not because of righteous things, not because of good things that we have done, but by your mercy you have saved us. You have saved us through the washing and renewal and rebirth by your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. We thank you for that truth. We thank you for that reality. And God, I pray for each and every one of us that this year would be the year that we go deeper and further in our relationship with you. God, I pray that we will see your spirit do things among us that we have never seen before. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the way that you are at work. Lord, forgive us for the times that we trust ourselves and not you. Forgive us for the times we trust our own goodness, our own morality. Not the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would we be this morning drawn back to you and your love for us? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.